Poole Couch Podcast is a weekly conversation with Dr. Lakeitha Poole, a licensed professional counselor in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, about all things mental health and personal growth. The Emerald Couch Podcast is the go-to pop site dialogue for self-help, good laughs, and real talk. This podcast is not meant to be a substitute for seeking support from a licensed mental health professional and is for educational and entertainment purposes only. For more information about counseling and therapeutic services, or for assistance in connecting with a therapist in your area, visit our website at www.smalltalkcounseling.com. Let's start the show. and welcome to another episode of the Emerald Couch. This is your host, Dr. Lakeitha Poole. As always, super, super excited that you are tuned in for another episode. We're on episode 22, um, so rocking and rolling. Thank you all for always tuning in, whether that's through Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud, but also so engaging with us on social media, whether that's Instagram or Facebook, um, and checking out the website at all times. So please make sure you keep tuning in, rate us, like us, share us, um, so that we can keep the magic of the Emerald Couch going. So episode 22, we're jumping right into a topic that maybe is somewhat of a continuation from when I had two of my close friends on, um, we talked about relationships, but we didn't really talk about sort of what happens when those turn sour or sort of the end of relationships. So Today's topic is um, breaking up is hard to do and overcome and just being able to sort of think through what does that look like for us in all parts of our lives, physically, mentally, emotionally. Um, It's a topic that I think a lot of people don't have a lot of insight on and the hope is because you're not experiencing tons of breakups in your life, but um, one breakup can be, you know, detrimental for some people emotionally and so giving a little bit of guidance and support about that is what the plan is for today so thinking about this topic um, we start talking about breakups most people you know are thinking about all forms of relationships so this is long-term dating um, this is marriage and divorce even close friendships can sort of still have that same feel of what a, a breakup can be because friendships also end and so they're really hard to navigate and can be super super heartbreaking for people so the end of a relationship can completely just turn somebody's world upside down and totally trigger a wide range of really intense emotions that in a lot of cases most people don't know what to do with even if they've been through a breakup before it's just being able to understand that that there's something unique about that particular breakup that definitely isn't um, your common experience and so you may not exactly know what to do with that in order to overcome it so some people are able to you know accept the dismantling of a relationship and are able to very quickly move on, get over it, and just kind of start over, get a fresh start. While other people find themselves on a super long road to recovery that can be filled with everything from depression to confidence issues to even anger. On the Ebony's and the Ivory podcast, 
we did an episode where we talked about um, a recent movie that starred Taraji P. Henson. And I'm not going to spoil it if you haven't listened to that podcast episode or if you haven't watched that movie um, where, you know, the breakup of a relationship caused her to go through a wide range of emotions um, that just, I think, took her to a place mentally and emotionally she could have never even expected. So acrimony, if you haven't seen it, check it out. Um, And so I think being able for us to talk through this a little bit may help some folks understand why breakups are as painful as they can be, um, but also how do you then take the steps properly to kind of understand what you're going through so that you can start over, start afresh, um, and just have another perspective on what that relationship was, but also even potential of what it could be. So let's kind of break down the different ways that we might be affected by a relationship. So first, let's start with probably the part that most people forget about, which is that physiological impact. So there are certain parts of the brain that are stimulated when you experience physical pain that are also stimulated during a breakup. And so reminders of a past relationship or even the intensity of how a breakup occurs can totally trigger this part of the brain, which makes you feel literally like you're being tortured or like you are in pain. And so if we start to think about just kind of like how conditioning theory works and for my therapists who are listening or folks who are familiar with psychology theories, Pavlov's dogs is what we always use as an example, Um, being able to sort of think about what or at what point are people, places, activities associated with an ex-partner that can be particularly triggering for someone and even cause like what we would experience to look like as cravings. So you you might try to avoid those for a while and try to sort of develop some new routines as you move on from your breakup or as you sort of create some distance between the two. So recognizing that even though um, you may be that person that's able to quickly move on from a relationship, there will still be some physiological impacts that can totally make you still have some form of a reaction. You're still going to internally experience what hurt looks like, what pain feels like, um, so that you kind of just are able to sort of almost cleanse your system of that. So that's kind of the physiological part of it. Um, Mental and emotional. So you all know I love psychology today. And there's actually been a couple studies that have been done that really talks about kind of how long it takes to really get through some of the mental and emotional impacts of a breakup. Um, Recent studies have actually shown that it takes about 10 weeks. So that's about two and a half months um, to truly feel sort of less distracted and less hurt by the initial emotional pain affiliated with the breakup. So in the grand scheme of things, that doesn't feel like a super long time, but obviously for the person going through it, it can feel like a lifetime. And so people who have recently been rejected by their partners often develop somewhat obsessive thinking. And so it takes longer because you sort of haven't created that distance, like I mentioned, um, between what used to be and what your current state of your relationship is. And so they might ruminate persistently about the ex-partner, how they're feeling, um, do they miss the relationship, and on and on and on. So these thoughts or feelings of loss can be triggered by places that you used to go together, people you used to hang out with, holidays, and even like just everyday rituals that maybe you and your partner shared. And so for that reason alone, It is really important to sort of not um, settle into this idea that, you know, the breakup has totally um, taken a part of you away while many parts of your life may be sort of tainted or colored by 
um, that relationship that ended, it's not the end. It's not the way in which you have to continue on. Um, but giving yourself proper time to heal and move forward is important. But just being able to realize that it's a part of breaking a ritual. It's a part of breaking something that's familiar. I tell clients all the time, it's super easy to stick with what we know as familiar, um, even if it's something that's painful. So it's much easier to go into something, even if it hurts, that we know what we're going to get or we know how we're going to experience that. It's super hard to try to move beyond what we don't know, what's unfamiliar, what may actually be better for us because we just don't have any point of reference to know that, oh, if I decide to move on, yes, I actually do feel better or I do feel um, a difference in what it feels like to think differently today versus focusing just on my breakup or just on, you know, hanging with folks that we hung out with together. And so just being able to sort of break that up and break the monotony up of day to day, I think is helpful too. And so in this sense, when we're talking about breakups in this way with the mental and the emotional impact, um, you can almost sense that you process a breakup a, a bit like when you're dealing with a trauma. So the person kind of cycles through periods of avoiding the emotional pain, being able to distract themselves, periods of being flooded by intense feelings, obsessions. So it's a very broad and wide range of emotions. And again, it's unfamiliar for most people. Even if you've gone through a breakup before, no person, or for the most part, um, gets into a relationship already assuming or hoping that it will end. Um, and so being able to sort of recognize that no matter how many experiences maybe you've had with a breakup, none of no two breakups are the same. They never feel um, exactly alike. And so being able to realize that just like with trauma from other um, experiences that people may have, it takes a while to get through. It's it's a process. It's a bit of a roller coaster. Um, there's a lot of emotions, and so the same thing sort of happens through the mental and emotional impact of a breakup. So, how do you find hope, kind of after the pain? So I've kind of walked you guys a little bit through what it looks like on the physiological, the mental, and the emotional side. Um, you know, and to be honest, the emotions that come with the ending of a relationship, whether, you know, super serious and long term or otherwise, really mirror the stages of grief. And we've covered that on this show. So if you haven't checked out the episode around grief and loss, um, definitely do that because there are some very specific stages that we go through that I think will help people sort of understand what this looks like. But the reason why it looks that way is because you do experience a loss. You experience a separation from um, someone who meant something significant to you. And the other side of it is that it's also very similar in attempting to sort of overcome an addiction in a lot of ways. So I just mentioned a few minutes ago how sort of going through this, this up and down of emotions, of emotional pain, intense feelings, trying to you know evoke change, but also realizing that at a certain point, there's a time where you have to almost take your hands off of the situation and, and determine how am I going to just begin to move forward because this either isn't working out, the other person isn't interested in the relationship or whatever. And so just being able to really think about the fact that, you know, you are going through a grieving process, hopefully at least gives a little reprieve to know that it doesn't last forever, um, but it definitely takes time and you do have to spend some intentional sort of work um, to get over it. Obviously, feelings of depression or anxiety should definitely not be overlooked, um, especially when they start to become long-term. Um, so similar to anything else we've talked about on this show, when you start to feel like there is 
sort of a hopelessness around um, being able to get out of a negative emotional situation, that is the perfect time to seek help, to confide in a loved one or someone you can trust as just kind of the beginning point um, to begin to move forward through your sort of individualized stages of grief, because that's what it is. And so being able to find someone that you can trust, at least to process it with, sometimes that might be another close friend. Sometimes that could be a family member. But if you also get to the point where you feel like you need that unbiased opinion, um, shameless plug, you have to think about going to therapy or figuring out if, um, there's some other ways for you to process this trauma and this grief that you're experiencing. So I think, and I want to go back to make sure that I don't skip over that, but the analogy that I use to addiction and pain kind of gives people a framework for understanding the intensity of their feelings because it can really be a basis for developing sort of self-compassion and realistic expectations. So obviously when we are Um, involved with or have a family member that is struggling with an addiction, it's so much easier um, to show them a lot of love. We know that they're struggling. We know that, you know, they're in a process of trying to maybe do things better for themselves. And so we have a lot of empathy when we go through something, whether that's a breakup, a job change, anything, we don't always have as much empathy for ourselves. Um, We talked a lot about self-esteem as well in the show and being able to sort of think through the fact that we are very willing to sort of dish that support out and that advice out around self-esteem and self-confidence. But when we're in need of it ourselves, we don't always muster up sort of Um, the resilience to do that. And so my hope would be that for anyone who is either experiencing the breakup, has experienced the breakup, or even is already sort of past that and starting a new relationship to be able to offer yourself some empathy so that you don't cause your next relationship to sort of pay for what you've already gone through. And so the hope would be that with appropriate support, with proper help, with maybe even an intervention if it's necessary, it is totally possible to move on from a relationship that has ended um, and figure out how to just live your best life uh, with or without another partner. And I think, you know, we see that all the time with people. Um, Particularly, I think social media plays a big role in people assuming that you sort of have to have this connection to somebody else in order for your life to be complete or in order for your life to flourish. But um, that is definitely not the case. Being able to understand that any relationship should be something that's additive to who you are, how you view yourself, the goals that you have, the values that you support. Um, It should always be extra. And so being able to understand that when breakups happen, there are totally reasons for them. Um, And maybe we have to make that a whole other episode. Um, But being able to really think through what does it mean to have sort of this understanding that um, breakups happen, but they don't have to be the end of the world and that the emotional pain affiliated with them are not lasting. There's definitely hope after the pain. There is Um, light at the end of the tunnel and totally a way to move forward, uh, find a new relationship if that's what you want, but also to be content with being you and being strong and being able to have an understanding that um, you bring a lot to the table too in any any form of relationship. So again, we're talking about long and short-term relationships and dating, marriages that come to an end, um, and even you know really, really close friendships that maybe fall apart at certain times. Um, the emotional pain and the mental pain and even the physiological piece 
it's all the same. You experience it the same way. And so just to think differently about it, obviously, as always, because that's what this show is about, consider seeking support if needed to be able to work through that process so that you do get to the next stage in your life, which is hopefully filled with lots of happiness, lots of joy, um, and being able to move forward. So hopefully this helps somebody. And I guess we will take a break right there and be back with our signature segments. Hey guys, we are back with our signature segments of the week. First up is our pop psych moment of the week. Um, So I want to get into, and I know that this has been on everybody's mind, timelines, um, your group text, is Nike's 30th anniversary campaign. Um, So I think if you haven't seen it first, look it up so that you know what we're talking about. Um, But... It's a campaign that features um, Colin Kaepernick, Serena Williams, and a host of other sort of like everyday athletes, um, wrestlers, skateboarders. I think there is a clip um, or a piece in there where LeBron James sort of pops up talking about him being one of the greatest athletes, but also going beyond his role as an athlete, opening his school, things like that. So Nike has taken it upon themselves to sort of um, get behind this idea that um, and I think it's a there's a quote that Colin sort of ends the commercial with saying you know believe in something even if it means sacrificing everything. So those of us who are familiar with Colin Kaepernick know um, that in 2016 um, he basically lost his job as a quarterback in the NFL because he knelt in protest um, of police brutality and violence against people of color um, that he you know felt like needed to be. Um, brought attention to. And so um, I think what has been interesting about this whole experience, even before Nike dropped this campaign, was that there were other players who definitely knelt with him and who um, were a part of this movement at all, who actually still have jobs. Um, But also that this has become um, sort of a warped way in which I think society at large has taken that message to mean something that it doesn't. Um, I think you've also probably seen on social media some comparisons around when several years ago Tim Tebow um, knelt during the national anthem in respect and sort of to bring attention to abortion because of his personal beliefs. And um, there wasn't this same sort of outcry of anger um, about it. And so, of course, now that this major brand that Nike is has sort of taken a stance to support, I think you will see that this will become probably even more of a major issue and concern. And so, of course, the backlash is intense, but the support is definitely strong, which is great. Um, being able to sort of understand that this is a huge statement by Nike, even if it's um, a marketing ploy. So if that's the case, I mean, if it's just for them to make money and I don't necessarily know that that's the only reason, um, then, you know, kudos to them either way. But just thinking about this from a mental health perspective, 
there will always come a time where you have to choose between sort of getting out of the kitchen when the heat is on and when things are hot. Um, Maybe that's like we've talked about today in a relationship or changing jobs or, um, you know, just seeking out your passion um, or choosing to stick it out and kind of just stand for what you believe in um, is is kind of best for you. And so in this case, you know, we're talking about a cause that he's in support of and that many people are in support of. Um, And I think the bigger message that he is trying to get out is that this isn't about a song or a flag or our veterans who have done wonderful things to protect us and actually ensure that he has the freedom to be able to do that. Um, But it is about a bringing attention to something that has been a issue um, for many, many years historically, but in more recent times, it has become um, in a lot of ways ignored. And so being able to sort of like take such a major stand or in this case, a kneel um, to bring attention to that is is definitely admirable. So I think what happens from, again, an emotional and mental health perspective is like when it's time to have to do something like that for yourself or to stand up for yourself, um, again, using even the example of a breakup um, as a as an example, you know, fear and isolation are very real. And so recognizing that maybe getting out of a relationship or standing up for something that you believe or, you know, leaving a role that definitely doesn't maybe fit with your values anymore, um, the mental strain that comes with all of those things often prove to be too much for some people. And so this is obviously where things like resilience and being able to um, kind of overcome fear to step out and do something that is out of your character per se, or maybe not necessarily accepted, generally accepted to do. Um, It takes a lot of bravery and, and there's a lot of mental strain and anguish that can come with that. And so what I appreciate about this, just to wrap up our pop psych moment, is that you know, Nike sort of taking this stance gets at the core and the heart of really what I think this movement has been about, which is recognizing that um, as an individual and as an athlete, there is a value that I bring to the table and that um, I'm still also, though, very much human and have ideas around the ways in which I want to improve the world and the society that I live in. And so when you think about people like Serena Williams, Colin Kaepernick, LeBron James, who have done um, more than their fair share of utilizing their resources and platform to bring attention to, but also just to create change through philanthropy, um, you, you can't really be mad at that. And so for that reason alone, um, I'm super excited about Nike's 30th anniversary campaign. I think that it sends a major message. I think there is definitely still going to be more backlash and outlash um, to come. However, um, I do think that it is a first step for a major brand like that, particularly centered around sports. Um, where people sort of have this sense of ownership around their teams and players that they love to be able to sort of separate that distinction. So definitely will be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, But again, just to be able to sort of think through what does it take for somebody to really take such a big stand and kind of, you know, know that there's not going to be a ton of people happy with you, but that you also have, you know, a whole gang of people who are very happy to support. So that's our pop psych moment of the week. Again, if you haven't checked out the campaign ad, um, please do. I think in general, whether you care about the cause or not, it's just a really cool commercial that highlights some of the best athletes from around the world. So check it out. And that's our pop psych moment of the week. 
So next up, we have our Small Talk bookshelf, um, which is where I share with you guys just what I'm reading um, and what things have popped up during my week um, that I want to be able to let you guys know about what's going on. Um, so actually, I, and maybe somewhat ironically, in the upcoming issue of Psychology Today's magazine, so the October 2018 issue, there was an article by Dr. Robert Burris about stealth breakups and so the real reason why people are getting ghosted. Um, and so for people who don't know what being ghosted is, I know my mom listens to this podcast and so my mom's probably like, what does that mean? Um, defining what it means to be ghosted means that somebody totally disappears from you. So it's not a new phenomenon, but it is tied to this new phenomenon of relation shopping. And I'm going to talk about that in a second too. So ghosting isn't this new thing. Um, it's basically where you may be involved with somebody, you know, romantically. It still may be a very sort of surface relationship where um, you are exploring, you know, do you have a connection? Are there sparks flying? Do your values align? Um, and somebody in that relationship then determines they just don't want to do that anymore. And they just completely sort of vanish. Um, they stop calling. They stop texting. Um, they find ways to disconnect. And so, like I said, ghosting isn't new, but recent technology advancements and social media allow somebody to completely disappear off the grid um, and or to immediately sort of act upon their desires to then just be involved with somebody else very quickly as well or multiple people without anybody knowing. And so the article just really goes into this idea of relation shopping and that many people are actually entering relationships with this concept and this idea that this may or may not be a permanent thing. And so they don't fully even give themselves time and a chance to invest emotionally in it to determine what it's like. And instead, they sort of stay at that surface level so that when that moment comes where they're ready to just kind of ghost out on that person, they are gone. Um, and so that's super scary <laughs> when you start thinking about what we've talked about today uh, with relationships and breakups you know, the uncertainty of what dating looks like in this day and age, whether that's in person or, you know, now we have social media and we have these like dating apps. It's a small price to pay for some of these folks, um, for people who don't believe in love or finding a long-term relationship or a life partner. So for them, it's sort of like this comes with it, you know, hopping around, breaking hearts is a part of it. Um, I don't agree with that, but I think that, you know, being able to understand sort of what the dating scene looks like for those people who are looking for that long-term commitment, who are looking for um, permanent ways to attach to a partner, um, being able to be aware that, you know, dating has changed a little bit and the game has changed. And so you need to be able to make sure you're ready um, if that's something that you are interested in. But I definitely recommend checking out that article. Um, again, it's called Stealth Breakups, The Real Reason You Were Ghosted by Dr. Robert Barris in the October 2018 issue of Psychology Today. Um, for my clinicians that are listening, it should be in your mailbox now. So if you haven't checked your mail, go do that. Um, but just something to put on your mind since we talked about relationships, we talked about breakups, um, to be able to sort of say after you've gotten maybe over your last relationship and you want to re-enter the dating game, just be aware of what things um 
are in existence right now and what it looks like to be a part of the dating scene. So don't go out there blind, y'all. Um, and so definitely put this article on your bookshelf. Um, and I hope if you read it and you have thoughts about it, that you will also share them with me. And we will hopefully have something just as great next week to share on your bookshelf. So last up, and I am so excited, we actually have a Ask Dr. LP question. Um, And so I'm going to read it for you guys and then give my thoughts about it. So I appreciate um, our listener who sent this in. I'm not going to reveal their identity, but we definitely appreciate them um, for joining us for Ask Dr. LP. So here's what we got. Uh, Dear Dr. LP, I'm really struggling. It is appropriate or is it appropriate? I can't read today. Is it appropriate to practice both spirituality and religion and also believe in the benefits of psychology and counseling? I was raised to believe that my faith should get me through any and everything. But in my adult years, I have struggled to get all that I need emotionally. What can I do to resolve this internal conflict? This is a super, super important question. Um, And I I think, and now that the podcast has been going on for a while, I can't remember how long ago, but we kind of talked about this a little bit briefly on a previous episode, this idea of, you know, having to choose between your faith and your spiritual sort of growth and support systems that you have in place and psychological growth and and support systems that you have in place. And um, I think, let me first sort of give a little distinction between spirituality and religion and then maybe can get into sort of like why people a lot of people not just you as a listener have this struggle um so spirituality versus religion religion is sort of the actual practice or act in the way in which we sort of evoke or um, openly display our spirituality so religion would be um, you know, identifying with a certain sect of spirituality and practices. So Catholicism versus being a Protestant or Baptist, um, being able to recognize that, you know, a, a religious sort of approach is like the actual practices that you engage in. So, um, you know, does your church have a choir? Um, do they have a deacon board? Um, do you go to a mosque? Um, to practice your faith. So those are sort of like the traits or characteristics of um, religion and and the practices themselves of how you sort of display your spiritual beliefs openly. Spirituality is about relationship and the connection um, to whatever you feel like is sort of that bigger source of support for you. So for some people that is God, for some people that is Buddha, um, Hindu practices also have um, sort of their own way in which they connect to a, a bigger and larger being. So being able to sort of understand the distinction, I think, between those two are very important. And to really determine if, um, for our listener, like if you were raised to strictly be confined to certain religious practices and you are interested in just sort of branching out a little bit, finding a freer way to practice your faith, um, I suggest, you know, trying different places of worship, being able to sort of think differently about what that looks like. Because if you align yourself sort of with the proper place to um, practice your spirituality, I think you'll also find some of the physical, I mean, not physical, psychological and um, mental and emotional support that you're looking for because that is also a part of it. Spirituality spirituality is a major part of well-being. We've talked about that on the show too. It's a major component of wellness. 
Um, and so being able to sort of find the best place where you can freely express your spiritual beliefs are very important. So that's part one. On the other side of it, you know, therapy and counseling should be or can be a supplemental tool to your faith experiences and practices. So in certain cultural communities, and obviously for me, defining myself as um, a black female, you know, in the black community, for most people growing up, you are taught, um, you know, take it to Jesus or pray about it or, you know, you don't share um, things that are going on with you outside of the family or the household. And so seeking out, you know, mental health support, which is growing in popularity among that particular community, it can still be a very scary thing and feel uncomfortable and feel like you're sort of betraying um, cultural values that you grew up with. However, being able to really think through what does it mean for you to be seeking that type of support, I think is at the core of how you determine, you know, if this is something you should even do or be doing, um, I'm biased. So obviously I think you should be doing it. Um, and I'm someone who has, you know, both spiritual and religious practices, as well as obviously because of my career, huge supporter of mental health and therapy and counseling services. And so being able to understand that you don't have to choose they're they're complementary really to each other because they both center around your overall well-being and you being the best person holistically that you can possibly be. So I think being able to give yourself maybe permission to think differently about that, um, to understand that there are a ton of benefits of psychology and counseling um, that can probably help you in a lot of ways that most people don't even recognize. Um, And then, of course, understanding that some of it has like sort of just historical stigmas that our generation um, is doing a lot more work, intentional work to overcome. And so I think just think differently about it, you know, also recognizing that it's your choice to make and, and being able to say that you went and tried, you know, one session of therapy, like an intro session or an initial consultation with somebody to try to find a good fit can also give you sort of, you know, some reprieve and some comfort around uh, whether or not it feels like something that feels right and feels that it can be complementary to your faith um, and your faith practices. So that's my advice. Give it a try. Um, Understand that, you know, there's some historical context around how many of us were raised that, you know, we have to break out of a little bit in order to get the support that we need. And also understanding that now um, the pool of therapists who are available, you know, is much more diverse. It's much more broad. You have folks who will understand some of those cultural distinctions and values and Um, maybe make that experience feel more comfortable and not um, something that is in opposition to another major part of your identity, but um, supplemental to it. So my hope is that you'll give it a try. I definitely appreciate your question. I think that's something that people um, struggle with a lot and think through a lot. And so you being brave enough to share your experience with us will definitely help all of our Emerald Couch listeners. So I appreciate your question and I hope that that helped. So that wraps up our last segment, our Ask Dr. LP segment. Those of you who are tuning in and you have questions, please also send them in. Um, We'd be happy to answer them on the show. So make sure that you either do that through our website or you can send them directly to us on social media, whether that's Instagram or Facebook. Um, So we have arrived at the end of another show. I appreciate you all always for tuning in. Um, I hope that these topics continue to help people and continue to make mental health more of an everyday topic for all of you who tune in every week to understand that 
Um, these are things that are part of our daily lives, but also play a major role in our overall well-being. So we've got um, a few more topics, special topics coming up for the month of September. So make sure that you stay tuned. As I mentioned before, if you haven't already, like, follow, and subscribe to all of the ways to connect to us. Um, submit your questions for Ask Dr. LP. And make sure that you are right back here, right back next week, back on the Emerald Couch. Thanks for tuning in.